0: Well, before we dive in today, I just want to actually take a moment as a, as a community, and I wanted us to pray about a few things that were on my heart this week. And um, one of those things is I wanted to take a few moments, and I wanted us to pray together for um, New Zealand and the families and the people that were um, impacted by this mass shooting Um, Last I saw, I think 50 people have died and there are 30 some more that are in the hospital and and some in critical condition. So we want to be praying for the country, for all of those who are impacted. Um, We are all impacted, um, but for those more immediately impacted in New Zealand. And then the other thing that I wanted us to pray together as a community for is for the Washington family. um, This week would have been Jason's birthday. His birthday is on March 21st. So it's one of those weeks that's going to be challenging, right? And um, we just want to be praying for them and for their family. Um, And so I just want us to do that. And so I'm just going to lead us out, if that's okay, and then we'll dive into the text today. So let's pray together. God, we um, are thankful for your presence. We thank you that you are a God that we believe we can come to um, and that we can rely on. And we um, we do not have to carry burdens on our own, but we can share them with one another and we can lay them at your feet. And, um, and so we just bring um, these two needs to you, one global in that we hear um, the tragedy that happened in New Zealand and we ask for your faithful presence to be in the lives of those who are impacted. We pray for all the families that have lost loved ones. We pray for those who are grieving today, those who are mourning, those who are, um, are um, just, their lives are changed forever and we just pray for peace, God, we yearn, I love the, the language from Eugene Cho, we yearn for peace in this world, and um, we ask you to come and to be present in these places where there is so much hurt and pain, and um, um, we just ask for your presence, God, and we ask that your um, those who trust and believe in you would sense your presence and um, your nearness in this time, God, um, that there would be a softness and not a an hardening, God, and that you would be the faithful God that you are in our lives and in this world. God, would you direct your church and your people around the world to respond and react in ways that reflect who you are, your love and your generosity and your goodness towards those who are hurting right now. God, we also pray as a family right here in this space for the Washington family. We pray for Michelle. We pray for the girls. We pray for all of the family, God. And this week, being Jason's birthday, and I pray, God, that you would just um, be an encouragement, again, the faithfulness of your presence, God, um, in that stillness in their internal lives, God. And would you help us as a community to um, be encouraging and to, um, to love well, God, um, we just we uh, turn to you in these moments, and we um, take whatever burdens, whatever anxieties, whatever worries we are carrying today, God. Whatever is weighing on our shoulders, whatever is occupying our minds, God. We just in this moment um, take those small steps of surrender to you and um, baby steps of trust, God. And um, whether it's our finances or it's relationships, whether it, whatever worries we might have, God, we just begin to surrender. And let you do um, the good thing that you want to do in us. And um, uh, help us, God, in our own doubt, in our own fears, to remember that you are good and that you are faithful. And uh, be with us and let your word go deep this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Before we jump right in here, I just want to remind us of um, something that was so powerful for me a few weeks ago from... Uh, James from the text and um because what what we see manifest this kind of demonic racist hatred uh, that manifests in murder um is mm. the antithesis of mm. who God calls his people to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's uh matter of fact <laughs> it's in the language. Right? Xenophobia, fear of others, scare of, you're scared of the other, you're scared of the immigrant, you're scared of the person who doesn't look like you, who doesn't uh, worship like you, who doesn't behave like you. Right? That, if you remember, a few weeks ago, we took a, a little bit of closer word at the word that gets translated hospitality that James is saying the church is called to. They're called to hospitality. And if you remember, uh, that word had that xena in it, that xeno, that other uh, and it was xenophilia, right, it, love of other. That's what gets translated hospitality in scripture. And that is what we are called to be and called to stand up for and called to uh, participate in is the, the love of the other. And so it is, it is not even in a degree. It's, it is in complete opposition. And, and I, I want us to carry that with us because we live in an age where voices are stoking fires of division that want us to be against anyone who doesn't look like us. And these are what powers that be do to, to continue to be empowered. They divide us so they can more easily control us. And the kingdom of God is constantly about the drawing of all peoples mm-hmm. together and to God. And, and so I hope that we uh, will continue to learn in that, grow in that, and, and in our own way here in Portland, just try to figure out how we live that out right and that I, I just want I just had that kind of burning in my heart to remind us of that that this is this is the core of who we are uh, it is we are people who are called and we're, we're called to be <laughs> devoted to God to love God to love neighbor right The greatest commandment it's right there again right what does Jesus do when, he's, when he has the question turned back on him and, they, and he's like, you know, love God with everything. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with everything. Love neighbor as yourself. And the, and the teacher of the law uh, challenges him and says, well, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, it's the other. Mm-hmm. Right? By the end of the story, the teacher of the law has to admit that the Samaritan is the one being the neighbor, but he won't even say the word Samaritan because he's such an other to him. Right? Mm-hmm. And... and um, it feels more important than ever now mm-hmm. that uh, those of us who are, are trying to follow Jesus, um, that we, we understand this and we manifest this in, in whatever way we can. And so let's, let's make that a continued goal of us mm-hmm. to manifest love and to be intentional about manifesting love for the other.
0: Mm-hmm. Done. That was good. Mic drop. <laughs> Wrap it up. Wrap <laughs> up, Kidding! We've got lots of notes. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah, so uh, I've been I've been uh, traveling, as many of you know, um, with an organization called Parish Collective, and um, through them, I've been able to go to Canada, which has been cold. i
1: mean, far away. You're so far away. Oh, man. Mm.
0: Oh. So Paul's missed me a mm. lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's
1: true. It's don't don't it's true. make it sound sarcastic. <laughs>
0: no, I mean, I was just, anyway, sarcasm is funny. Um, but yeah, so so I've been, I, I'm i gone for like week, kind of five, six, five to seven days at a time, and it's been, fan- I've had a really, really great time, um, but also missed being at home. And so today we were driving here, and I told Paul, or I was telling Rennick, I was like, oh, I'm so excited, you know, and he's like, why <laughs> you know why and uh, it's like because i haven't been at the groves like well last week we met in our home and some of you may or may not have known that <laughs> and so anyway um or, or may or may not want to be at my house <laughs> you know whatever <laughs> um that's too close um that's fine um but yeah so we met at our house so i didn't get to see everybody in the week before i was gone and so anyway i missed everybody so much so hey podcast listeners i've missed you too those who are not here i've missed you too um, and anyway, I have just missed everyone, it was so good to be, for me it's so good to be back in this space and to reconnect and, uh, and then of course coming back and, and, and reconnecting with Paul and, and the family and just, it's, when you're apart, distance makes the heart grow fonder, yes? Or not? Yeah, mm-hmm. you kind of know where you're at <laughs> based on that. So anyway, I've missed all of you and, and love being back and just put some more intention with the time that we have together. And um, in all of this, I know that you've heard me talk over the last few weeks um, and months even about, um, and I haven't, I haven't gone too deep into it, but I've, I've, I've said statements here and there just about the way in which I've been connecting with God has been different. And all that to say that I actually feel like ways that I've connected with God before are not have not been working. And when that happens, I kind of go, the reaction is like, what's wrong, right? Like there's something wrong because we're not connecting in the same way that we used to connect. And um, that's how I have been in the past. But this time around, I've just been trying to listen more and lean in more and be like, okay, God, what is, there must be something new about who you are and how you want to speak to me. And I want to be attentive to that and 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 as someone who's a creative enneagram four, you know i love new ways anyway so i'm like okay god show me something new about the way that you want to speak to me um where are you speaking how are you moving what are you doing and so um this last week as preparing for this talk um in my own desire to reconnect with Jesus, I was like, okay, I sat down and like, okay, where do we even begin, God? Because I have felt this disconnect. I felt feeler. I feel distant. How do I, how do I reengage? How can I feel you again? Where are you? What are you saying? Are you, you know, I have my own doubts and my own fears and coming into this. And I was like, Where, yeah, where I want to connect with you, Jesus. Where are you? And how do I start this? Process.
1: Yeah. Well, when I read your note here as I was looking over them, the, I just reacted immediately to the fact that you used the word reconnect. I like that. I like that you phrased it reconnecting with Jesus because I think there's often like uh, a lot of emphasis in um, a lot of the Christian circles I've been in in that initial connection right mm-hmm. that that conversion thing and there's there's um, and 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 maybe not a lot of discussion about this this kind of the uh, ebb and flow the ebb and flow yeah and, flow. Yeah. Yeah. and huh. so i like that cuz that communicates that right because over the course of our lives um, i think it's a series of connections and disconnections and reconnections right that's that's i think that's how a relationship grows mm-hmm. is that that sense of uh, push and pull and 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 um, the effort that's put in when you feel that distance and Mm -hmm. the commitment that stays when you feel that distance, right? That thing that holds you there, even when the the feeling isn't maybe as strong, the emotional uh, feeling isn't as strong. And, of course, this stuff parallels so many of our relationships, right? Not just our relationship with God, but with friends and with spouses and and family. And um, so I think that that tool, the tool of learning to reengage with God is, it, is an essential spiritual tool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the difficulties, I think that, that suffering, right, the human condition, I think all that stuff, I think that drives us to, um, I, I always think of it as like, it's driving us to like echo Jesus in that statement he makes on the cross where he, you know, cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And that, when I feel the most vulnerable, the most ab- abandoned or or alone i i come back to that moment that i imagine that i imagine the person of jesus actually feeling Mm -hmm. that sense of 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 god the father just letting him just turning his back on him right Mm -hmm. and if you've studied that text or been around the church much you know that he's quoting or praying a psalm there right he's uh praying psalm 22 um and that's what he cries out in, in that first, first part of the psalm, it's a description of the, the disconnection, right? But our hope is to continue to learn to make it to the end of the psalm where the reconnection happens. Right? It begins, the, the psalm itself, if you want to read it, you can you go there and read it, uh, you know, uh, Psalm uh, 22. It begins with all of this agony, right? And this just uh, complete sense of abandonment. Um, But this is how it ends. Uh, I'm just going to start in verse 25. It ends like this. You are the reason I offer praise in the great assembly. I will fulfill my promises before the Lord's loyal followers. Let the oppressed eat and be filled. Let those who seek his help praise the Lord. May you live forever. Let all the people of the earth acknowledge the Lord and turn to him. Let all the nations worship you, for the Lord is king and rules over the nations. All the thriving people of the earth will join the celebration of worship. All those who are descending into the grave will bow before him, including those who cannot preserve their lives. A whole generation will serve him. They will tell the next generation about the sovereign Lord. They will come and tell about his saving deeds, and they will tell a future generation what he has accomplished. And so I, I... you know, think about this stuff, and I think about the fact that, like, David, um, because this is a psalm we believe David wrote, David and Jesus experienced this disconnection, and even feelings of, like, absolute abandonment by God. Um, I I often talk about it as, like, the apparent absence of God. That's the experience that I have, is that I, I don't believe that he's absent, but there, there is, is an apparent absence I, that's my mm-hmm. that's my uh experience My immediate it seems like
0: you're not near yeah. Yeah.
1: Is, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and and to know that David and Jesus found that same feeling that feeling of abandonment by God but they found a path back to connection and so you know I that just brought me to like we start answering the question where do we start um you know when we're trying to reconnect with God
0: yeah and I think too, honestly, part of the reconnection for me is that on a this is just part of my life rhythm is that I I have to get up here and talk to you all every week, so yeah. I'm not I can't pretend right like it would be so I mean I could <laughs> if I could try but I don't want to be that inauthentic about the genuine connection that I'm either having or not having with God right yeah. um, and I want to be genuine about that so. For me, there is this rhythm in my life that calls me back to we don't, not everyone may have that pressure or timeline or like this, right, that, yeah. that daily or weekly discipline in their lives. But that is the first thing is the sense of responsibility and ownership. Like I, I want to show up having connected and hearing from God. Yeah. And then, then, so it's this external for me. It's like this external Well, it's thing. a discipline, right? And like when we talk about spiritual that,
1: disciplines, you can put those in your life or they can be put on you and so for us yeah because of you the put career, that on me
0: <laughs> and so yeah, yeah here I am
1: it's a spiritual discipline yeah. to go to the word yeah. yeah
0: and then I have to go to yeah then I have to go to scripture which yeah. is not my number one connector with with God honestly yeah. not like how I've primarily so um so this week, I was like, so when I came to, I'm like, okay, we're going to, I knew that we were going to talk about, not James, we're not going go to go finish up James this week. So I was like, okay, how, where do I even, like, you know, do you ever, like, open up the Bible, like, well, I don't know where to start. Anybody? <laughs> just me? Yeah. I'm like, okay, where's God in the Bible? You know, like, I'm just like, I don't know. Uh, not. Look at the index. Not numbers. Yeah. yeah. G. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Google. God. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But I, I was like, okay, I want to. If I'm reconnecting, I wanted to remind myself: memory is a thing, right? Remembering, remembering um, the Jesus that has moved my heart and soul. Like, mm. what passages of Scripture? What stories? And it's not even like not even that, but deeper. What stories about Jesus, like attract me to Him? Mm. What is it about him that I fell in love with in the first place? Like, yeah. that was sort of what began to motivate me and compel me to search the Gospels, honestly, and find what I want yeah. to talk about today.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the most powerful practices in Christianity is that that moment of, like, reflection on and communion with Christ, right? And you can do that, a lot of the time, a great way is with the Gospel stories. Um, and if you spend your life in those, then you'll— it just comes to mind when you come to those moments, right? It's, uh, those are the things that just, that pop out to you. You think of like, like my moment of thinking of Christ on the cross, crying out uh, for that abandonment. I mean, that's that, that I go right to that place when I'm in that. And I feel that, that sense of solidarity there with him and and, and, him with me. And that's a, a powerful, um, like real emotional connection that, that you can have. And, um, and it kind of counters I think the great temptation that's in our life with God is it's to make things ever more religious and ritualistic or or to let them become that let them become the mundane and um the ritual that you just do right and and we all fall into this um no matter what our faith practice is right we're we're a fairly informal form of church um but we have we have a routine. We have a ritual. And it, it's it's kind of like Sonia's description of uh, the teaching and the preaching of the word. Um, that could become a a mechanism, something that we do. We understand the mechanisms of putting together a talk, of studying a text, figuring out what it says. We could just do that and then bring that product and present that for you. But But it takes this engagement and this vulnerability and this um, authenticity for us to feel right about what we're doing. And that's what constantly gets us re-engaging. And I think um, it helps us to not fall into that, that temptation of things becoming just ever more religious or ever more ritualistic. Now I think practices or, um, you know, declarative statements or even rules, they can actually be helpful, uh, at times, but they can quickly become empty and meaningless if they don't point us to the revelation of god in the person of jesus and without jesus life at the center of christian or without jesus life at the center of christianity it has at times become kind of a cold and um even a mean system not unlike what jesus encountered uh in the religious leaders of his day and uh, so i was you know thinking about what's the story about jesus that you picked that you know motivates you that that um, drives you towards that reconnection.
0: Yeah, so we're gonna go to Mark two today, Mark chapter two, if you wanna look that up. Mark chapter two, two, and I'm gonna start with verse 13. This is one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite passages, and so um, this is where my reconnection started this week. And I wanna share it with you and just encourage you to, yeah, anyway, I hope it's inspiring, encouraging, affirming, welcoming, all those good things. Mark chapter two, verse 13, I'm reading from the message and it says this Then Jesus went again to walk alongside the lake He's he he he's just been overwhelmed by crowds and people coming to him and, and Jesus healed. At the beginning of, of chapter 2 is the story where um, the crowds were, he was in a house and he was healing people and it was so packed um, that four friends carried their other friends and opened up the roof so they could lower him in so Jesus could heal him that's how desperate, like if you just think about it, he was, Jesus was yeah. just emptying himself out so he went for a walk alongside the lake that sounds like a good choice, <laughs> yeah But again, a crowd came to him, and he taught them. Strolling along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, at his work collecting taxes. And Jesus said, come along with me. And he came. Later, Jesus and his disciples were at home having supper with a collection of disreputable guests. Yeah. Tax collectors and sinners, I think is what one translation says. Unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them had become followers the religion scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company and lit into the disciples. What kind of example is this, acting cozy with the riffraff? <laughs> riffraff. What is that? Aladdin. <laughs> there you go.
1: Street rat. Not
0: riffraff. It just rhymes. Okay. <laughs> Verse 17. Okay. I knew that. Okay. Mark 2, 17. Jesus, overhearing, he shot back, Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. And one of the questions and one of the things that we've been talking about on the little tour, the tours that have been going on are called What About Love Tours. And one of the big questions we've been asking and what we're asking neighbors and neighborhoods is who is invited to the table? Who's not being invited to the table? Who gets to be near Jesus, right? Who gets to be near Jesus? And in my quest for reconnection with Jesus, I'm like, well, who gets to be near him? Who are the people that get to be close to Jesus?
1: Yeah, someone whose presence will confuse you and offend you probably.
0: Yes. I mean, that's what this story says, right? Yeah. Not only, yeah. So I just did a really quick, like, go through the gospel and then write down all the people who got to be near Jesus. Okay? So here's who they are. Like, just in the first half of the gospel. 14-year-old Jewish Middle Eastern virgin woman, right, virgin. A devout Jewish Middle Eastern man shepherds, astrologers, a significant prophet who had taken a strict Nazarite vow, who hung out wearing camel's hair, leather belt, ate locusts and honey. Some weird people are hanging out with Jesus, right? Two sets of brothers who are fishermen, people who suffered from seizures, paralytics, physical and those who suffered from physical and mental illness, lepers, Roman centurions, I thought this was funny, mother-in-laws, that was one of them, mother-in-laws also get to be near Jesus. (laughs) Isn't that funny? It's funny, okay. It's like a joke. It's a dad joke. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tax collectors, rulers, a woman who had a severe bleeding issue, hemorrhaging. Children, the blind, zealots, the crowds, the Canaanite woman. Okay, so that's just like a brief list of people who get to be near Jesus. And here's what I, here's, here's what I love about Jesus. So I'm reading this text and I'm reengaging and I'm coming near to Jesus. What I love, I love this Jesus who speaks to a Samaritan woman. Someone who, he crosses gender (laughs) lines, he crosses racial, he crosses socioeconomic lines. I love that Jesus. He touches lepers. So he touches people that if humans touch them, they are supposed to get what they have. Mm. And Jesus goes ahead and he touches them. That's, I love that Jesus. The Jesus who weeps over friends in cities. Jesus who puts zealots and tax collectors on the same team. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right yeah, now. even more extreme, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like ne- oh. white
0: nationalists and, yeah. right? I mean, he's yeah. talking about people who are, like, he puts them on the same team. Jesus who moves out of compassion, out of a deep, guttural, emotional place. Jesus who calms storms. Jesus who calls us to walk on water and knows we're going to sink. That yeah. Jesus. Jesus who invites me and my family to lay down our lives for a community of people. Jesus who crosses every single boundary, gender, race, economic, religious. He even crosses death, right? Jesus at work through his church by the Holy Spirit, inviting the unexpected to his table. That's the Jesus that I love. Mm. That's the Jesus that I get excited about being with and following and knowing more. Yeah. That kind of Jesus. And it, so as I was engaging with this text and as it was giving me life in these moments the question that i wanted to ask you this morning is what do you love about jesus what do you love about him take time this week to go oh what is it that first attracted me to who jesus is to god What memories? What passages of scripture? What place? Maybe there's a place. Maybe it's going to the forest. Maybe it's going to the ocean. Maybe it's talking to a friend. Maybe it's in scripture. What are the ways in which you have connected with Jesus? What do you love about him? I love that in Mark's gospel, he begins by telling us stories about how Jesus challenges the religious culture. I admit, I also really love that Jesus disrupts the religious establishment in these passages. I love that, that he recognized that these religious establishments were excluding and placing undue burdens on those that were trying to obey and love God. And I love the Jesus that removes barriers. I love the Jesus that takes down walls. I love the Jesus that invites people we don't expect to be invited to come and sit at the table to be with him. I love that, and I love that about Mark's gospel. I resonate with that. I resonate with that. It reminds me of who Jesus is, and and then it invites me into being part of His work that does that. It's so good. Um, anything you want to say? (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling emotional, so I was like, hey, anything you (laughs) want (laughs) to? Well, I. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I will. (laughs) Okay. Um, I love what, um, the University Press New Testament background commentary says this. Again, Jesus does not appear religious enough for traditionalists. So I like that Jesus. <laughs> but he also has a new kind of religious lifestyle in mind that he's calling his, mm. his new followers to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I thought as I was reading through this portion and, and thinking about this stuff, um, that we see that same motivation in mm. Jesus with the story of him turning over the tables in the temples, right? Um, the, Craig Keener, the commentator, says that the Old Testament temple did not officially restrict the access of women or non-Jews, but by extending Jewish purity laws, the architects of, the, of Herod's temple had excluded Jewish women from the court of Israel, placing them on a lower level, and non-Jews outside uh, even the court of women. Non-Jews could enter the Jewish part of the temple only on pain of death. Yet the noisy crowds around the merchant's tables not only consumed a significant part of the large space in the court of the Gentiles uh, at the crowded festival. So in other words, women and foreigners, the area that had been designated for them uh, to worship and, 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 pl- and that place where they were to connect with God, um, mm. was, they, they were displaced. Mm. And this is what angered uh, Jesus in this moment. When he turned um, over the tables. When he turns over the tables, he's in the, the Gentile courts, this place that's set for where the nations are to come to, to worship God. And, and the, the laws put in place that were not necessarily God's law, but they were the cultural law that had been instituted in that place, mm. was pushing people out and not taking, not taking it seriously that that was their space to connect with God mm-hmm. and, and merely treating them as a commodity. And, and, and that is what makes him so upset. Not only that, um, you know, there's some suggestion that maybe there were unfair practices and the money changing and stuff. But the real big deal is where they were. That they, they were taking up space and, and be, being a barrier to that place to connect with God.
0: It's interesting to me, too, in this passage, just when you read that, that the, the ideas of exclusion became architectural. Mm,
1: yeah. Like, actual. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that there was an actual physical barrier then, yeah. like the idea became physical right. and then excluded people from the ability to worship as God had intended.
1: Yeah, well, we've had friends over the years that we know that that's how they see a church building, right? Because of the experience they've had, right? They see that in it immediately. Um, we've we, a group of us friends have been talking because uh, Jeff. Uh, done some awesome uh, emotional trauma training uh, re- recently with search and rescue so we've been talking about like emotional trauma that gets lodged in your limbic system right oh, see I've been listening and <laughs> and uh, you, so when you encounter stuff like that where that emotional trauma has taken place your your brain on a, a real primal level says nope nope not gonna go there not gonna do that and and I think you know and it's at a a really deep level, that's what has driven you and I in our ministry life, right? <laughs> Is trying to figure out how do we get to those people who feel that way uh, about um, the barrier between them and God, the barrier between them and Jesus, which sometimes unfortunately has been even literally a church building, a physical mm-hmm. structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's always, that's always on my mind when mm-hmm. we're thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm but it challenges me to look around, right? Look, who, who from our neighborhood, from our community, from Portland uh, is not here? You know, um, why aren't they here? What, are there barriers that we've created or that we uh, perpetuate? Mm-hmm. Um, are there those in, you know, in our own lives? It, it challenges me to start, you know, mm-hmm. con- or continue to consider that and, and ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And figure out what steps we can make mm-hmm. um, to not let those mental barriers become actual physical and institutional mm-hmm. things.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think the challenge for religious leadership, right, is is to continually be asking those questions and continuing to create space and the invitation. Because what we see in the text, who Jesus is m- mostly angry at are the religious people who have gone farther than what he, the instruction given them. So in your example, the Old Testament said one thing, and then they took it to the nth degree, right? right? It's like, yeah. So we're going to see this again. Let's just finish up Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Let's go back to the text. So we'll see another example of this. So the disciples of John, verse 18, the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees made a practice of fasting. Okay, so this is interesting. We've got, like, John, right, Mm -hmm. like, prophet, um, well, respected, and then we've got these religious Pharisees, they had a practice of fasting. Some people confronted Jesus. Why do the followers of John and the Pharisees take on the discipline of fasting, but your followers don't? Okay? So here's the thing fasting was only required, I did not realize this, fasting was only required on the Day of Atonement. So from the Old Testament instruction to the Jewish people on their practice, the only required day of fasting was the Day of Atonement, one day. The Pharisees and other religious Jews added lots of days, like two or three a week. Okay, so you see, right, like how it's like, we're going to be even more, like, I don't know, like, I, I think that it starts, the, these barriers, these human, be- cre- we create these barriers, I think the intent is like, I'm going to be even more holy, right, I'm going to be even more set apart, and more special, and even closer to God, right, the intent is to be near God, but it actually prevents access, yeah. right, yeah. which is just crazy, Mark chapter, I mean, verse 19, Jesus said, So Jesus' response, when you're celebrating a wedding, you don't skimp on the cake and wine. That's right. You feast. (laughs) Later, you may need to pull in your belt, but not now. You do Whole30 later, not now. As long as the bride and the groom are with you, you have a good time. No one throws cold water on a friendly bonfire. This is kingdom come. So this wedding festivities lasted for seven days, right? So Hey, those are the kind of weddings I want to be a part of. So let's, can we resurrect that idea?
1: <laughs> a, the 7-day seven seven wedding. 7-day wedding, man. Everybody
0: takes off work. We just eat cake and wine. Cake and wine. I am in for that.
1: So, that's going to be
0: yes. Yeah. It'll be a new Yeah. We'll work on all the details later. Okay. Yeah. I'm the visionary. That's logistics. Yeah. I'm the visionary, not the details. Ask Jamie about the details. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone yeah. CJ me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so wedding festivities lasted for seven days. No one was permitted to fast or to do hard, any hard labor during that time. So you weren't allowed to work. It's just my religious faith tells me that that's your excuse. You have a no. Anyway. Um, but Jesus is saying now is not the time for fasting. Um, and He's not saying you never need to fast ever, ever again. He's not saying that. He's not saying more fasting. He's just saying, hey, right now in this moment while I'm here, this is, not, this is not the time for that. So verse 21, he went on, No one cuts up fine sil- a fine silk scarf to patch up old work clothes. You want fabrics that match. And you don't pour your wine in cracked bottles. So there's this idea, and I'm sure you've heard it before. So it's like new fabric sewn onto old fabric right? Okay, it's not going to match. He kinda, Eugene pulls that idea out. But it also, if you were to wash that, if you put new fabric on old fabric, it's going to stretch and it's going to tear. Yeah. It's not, not going to work. It's not going to function, right? Um, and the same idea, and we've heard, I'm sure many of us who've grown up in faith um, contexts have heard about like new wine and old wine skins, right? This idea that a wine skin, if you pour, you pour new wine into a new wine skin, and as the wine ferments, that it expands and then it hardens and it holds that, you know, but it has to be able to expand. And Jesus is like, you can't put new wine into an old wineskin because if you, once it ferments and it expands, that old wineskin is going to burst all over the place, right? So I've heard this talk several, many times, and I've been like, yeah, man, I don't want to be a nasty old wineskin, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I want to be a new wineskin, you know, like, yeah, anyway. And, Stay and, out
1: and, of the tanning beds. Yeah. <laughs> is that <laughs> yeah. the lesson?
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't live in is Phoenix, that, Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But... This is not about me, okay? This in its context, this is about marginalized, excluded, unseen, sick, broken, yeah. vulnerable, the people Jesus will pour himself into, mm-hmm. the new people that he's inviting to the table. Because here's what we're already, spirit is in us. We are, there's fermenting going on. We are becoming the wine, mm-hmm. right, that we're supposed to yeah. be, the wineskin in the time and place that we are. This is about the new people that mm-hmm. Jesus is inviting to the table, That he wants to pour himself into. That is awesome, you guys. That Jesus is pretty freaking amazing, right? I'm a feeler. I need to feel you're with me. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Just shed a little tear and I'll feel better. Okay. This is about the marginalized, excluded, unseen, sick, broken, vulnerable, the people Jesus will pour himself into, who will embody Christ and begin to ferment with the newness of his presence. That's what I want. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the body I want to be.
1: New
0: things through new people that Jesus is inviting to the table. Unexpected people. So, can we begin to um, reimagine what church can look like, what the body can be? Can we reimagine the kind even of the say people? Make a
1: practice of reimagining, yeah. right? I mean, I think that's the point because we've seen historically we we repeat this over and over again, right? We we might be a new expression of of the people of God. We might have a, a season w- where. The the doors are open, and we're gathering new people. And then that group can tend to harden. I mean, what a metaphor, right? Because that's exactly what we tend to do. Our ideas tend to harden, our theologies, Mm -hmm. our our practices, everything, uh, you know, to the point where all of a sudden churches are fighting. You're fighting about paint or carpet, right? You've all heard the stories or been a part of that kind of thing Mm -hmm. where the thing that doesn't really matter becomes the thing you're most obsessed with. And, and we so we need this is a tool a practice of learning to like consistently be reimagining the church mm-hmm. and and maybe even more so in an age when culture is shifting so fast that that the church that's able to do that is consistently going to be able to invite the new in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Jesus becomes new to us. This is the fresh work. The fresh work is through people. Yeah. The fresh work is not an idea I have. The fresh work is Jesus coming alive and pouring himself in new ways in yeah. the people, in our neighborhoods, in those that are around us. Mm. Um, and that is, that is what I love about Jesus, and that's how I am engaging with him mm. and finding interest in him again mm. and being in love with him again and feeling a renewed sense of call and energy in the work that he's already doing here in Portland. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... The two questions that I have. Um, what do you love about Jesus? Where has he met you? Maybe it's some memory work. Where has he met you in the past? What do you love about him? What do you remember is good about him? And and find ways of returning to that. And then the second question that I have, and as we go to response time, what work is Jesus doing in us and in those around us? Can we become more aware of his presence? We sing that song.
1: Let
0: us become more aware of the activity of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. in the lives, in the new wine, in the new things that he's doing around us. And how can we be part of that? Yeah. Okay. Let's pray together. Hmm. God, I just am so grateful for um, this body, for this community of people that you have been putting together you've been weaving us together you've been bringing people from literally all over the world to be here in this time and in this place and um, I don't want to take that for granted and I just want to appreciate the work that you're doing and all the fresh and the new things that are going on and I pray that you would um, uh, forgive us for our lack of trust our fears our anxieties the wounds that we might carry God would you come and would you heal us would you come and, um, yeah, those areas where we're really sensitive or maybe there are wounds and, and hurts that we carry, God, that prevent us from um, seeing you, recognizing you, loving you. God, would you come and heal us and make us whole? Would you open our eyes to the things that you are doing all around us? Would you help us to become more aware of your presence and your work. Would you remind us, God, of times that you've met us, your faithfulness, your goodness to us? I'm astounded at your faithfulness because I know how unfaithful I am in my ways, how unsteady I am, but you are so faithful, so steadfast. And um, so I just pray for every person that is in this room right now, God, that you would um, you would again speak, you would again move, you would just reignite that conversation and the dialogue. no one like you. And you move in us and you do things in our lives and you you, you do what only you can do. So um, help us. Be merciful to us. Be gracious to us. Cancel all the self-doubt, all the fear. Silence all the voices of shame and guilt.